and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast, heading into the month of March. Happy third month of the year. This is the month in which daylight savings happens to us. This is the one where we, where we lose the hour. Spring so ahead, pump for that. Fall back. Spring ahead, fall back. We're not going to be doing that during this, so you don't have to, you don't have to worry about losing an hour suddenly. I think it's is it like next weekend or is it like a couple weekends out? I actually don't even know. It's in the teens. It's one of the teens. It's in it's in the teens. Okay, something to be mindful of, I guess. But yeah, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about other stuff. Uh, I am League Lady Six. I am here as usual with Tactic and Nerd Bomber, who is hello, waiting hello. silently in the wings somewhere. Oh, she's no longer silent. She's right there. We're guys. We're loosey goosey, or fully lubricated from uh, a secret segment recording immediately prior to this. So, hint, hint. If you want to hear us, really, you know, f- start flexing the pipes and get things loose before the main, you can head over to Patreon.com. Subscribe to our channel there. Give us some support, and you can hear us talk about Love Is Blind because we all finished Love Is Blind, and purportedly we learned whether Love Was Blind or not. Or at least so, so it would seem. So we're not talking about that here. We're going to be talking about Elden Ring because that just dropped finally. We've been talking about that. I think we talked about that last year. This is the game that George R.R. R. Martin helped write. Uh, we're going to be talking about Starlink and in particular how it relates to the current ongoing situation in Ukraine. And we are also going to be talking about Pokemon because we got the big announcement of Pokemon Scarlet and Scarlet and Violet, two very similar sounding colors, announced for late 2022. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about the starters. They revealed they revealed the three starters to us. To me, there is a clear choice of starter based on my zero Pokemon knowledge, but we'll get to that later. We're going to start here with Elden Ring. So Elden Ring has been released. It's been in the works for a while. A game, a role playing game developed by From Software and published by Bandai Namco came out on the 25th so this past friday guys as we live and breathe right now it's among the highest reviewed games of all time hearing nothing but good things about it so i want to i'm on the wikipedia page full disclosure i'm gonna read the premise to you because i don't think we did that i don't know if we even had the premise when we first talked about this game last year But let me read this to you. You tell me what this sounds like. Elden Ring takes place in the realm of the lands between, sometime after the destruction of the titular Elden Ring and the scattering of its shards, the Great Runes. Once graced by the ring and the Erd Tree, which symbolizes its presence, the realm is now ruled over by the demigod offspring of Queen Marika the Eternal, each possessing a shard of the ring that corrupts and taints them with power. It might be Queen Marika. I don't know. As tarnished exiles from the lands between who lost the ring's grace and then are summoned back after the shattering players must traverse the realm to ultimately find all the great runes restore the elden ring and become the elden lord now the reason i wanted to read that i'm I'm about to dunk on this game that's gonna be a hot take lots of people are very 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 enthused about this game they're very into it i don't think i'm a particularly good writer i don't think i'm even particularly creative this sounds like something that i would have written for like a school assignment in like the sixth grade it also sounds like a ripoff of the lord of the rings obviously but i feel like that part kind of goes without saying i feel like though it's not as important as the gameplay with the writing team at the helm i've heard that there's a lot of good lore so to be clear to anybody listening the three of us have not played this game and i don't think i ever will but i've heard that this has pretty solid lore and writing i think the overarching premise does sound a lot like a lord of the rings knockoff but i'm sure when you dig further past like the descriptive blurb 
in the game, there's got to be a lot more lore than that. Yeah, you're reading the back of a book and saying, oh, this book is trash. You got to really turn those pages before you can make such a bold claim. I guess it's also not exactly like the Lord of the Rings and the fact that in this one, the ring starts off destroyed. (laughs) Which is like, in Lord of the Rings, they spend the whole time trying to destroy it. Here, it's already destroyed to start with. So if anything, it's Lord of the Rings in reverse. This, so this game has been in development. It was announced in 2019 at E3. From Software, of course, is responsible for Bloodborne and the Dark Souls series. Both of which, yeah, I, I'm with you, Nerd Bomber, on this one. I don't think I'll ever play this game. The RPG heaviness and also, like, I'm sure the difficulty... I'm not sure if it's as difficult as, like, I've heard that Bloodborne and Dark Souls are. But it doesn't appeal to me at all. I can see myself getting invested in the lore if it is indeed more than the premise is, is, is promising. Like, like you said, it probably is. But nonetheless, regardless of our opinion, I think it is funny that we're all, we're all like, hey, this game came out. It's getting really good reviews. By the way, we're never going to play it. Like, it's kind oh, that, of a weird way. Hey, to whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you here. speak for Tectic. You Okay, so you're, you're, you're going in on this? Hey, don't you speak for Tectic either. So why, why don't, let's, let's allow Tectic to speak for Tectic. How about that? So the biggest draw for me in, in any game is really the customizable option. That's why I'm drawn to games like Pokemon, because I can customize my own party and as such, customize my experience. And one of the biggest things that I've been following with this game is the character customization option and how wild it is. I mean, there's there's a if, if you want a character to look like you, you can have a character look like you. If you want your character to look like John Travolta, you can look like John Travolta. It is just vast and really you can you can get wild with it you can get weird with it and so that for me is a big driving point to be into it i was very into skyrim for example and i thought those customization options were to be desired and so this to me as long as i can find the time sync to do something is something i would absolutely play so long as it falls in my lap and i have the time to play it so i actually i came prepared with a few discussion points for this since none of us have played this. One of the things you touched on, Tactic, was that it's an exceptionally long game. I think, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but I've heard that there's tens, if not hundreds of hours of gameplay here. It's a vast open world. So I think different from Dark Souls, which again, I didn't play because that sort of stuff frustrates me. But you have the option where if you get stuck, you can just pivot because it's an open world. You can explore different avenues. You can approach bosses at different times. People I've heard have been stumbling across bosses. There's just a lot to unpack in this game. Does that turn you on or turn you off when a game is that long? As someone who has really been okay with never finishing games, this is something that I will pick up, get my dues out of it, enjoy it, not finish, and go on to the next thing. For me, it's a turnoff. So you probably expected me to say that. For, for me, the ideal length of a game is probably eight hours. Mm-hmm. Like, like c- campaign-wise, I would say... So not being able hours. to finish it is, is something that just doesn't sit well with you? No, not at all. I like the idea of what you said of like... I like the idea of having an open world in which you find bosses too early and go like whoa i'm gonna come back to that because then it it like you can sidestep it and it gives you something to work toward and kind of gauge like okay am i strong enough to go do this now i think that's realistic by the way and i think it's very interesting but it does yeah the the byproduct of that is it makes the game a lot longer that's why i liked pokemon legends of arceus because you know you have a level six 
Cyndaquil, right? And there is nothing that says that you will not come into contact with a level level 40 Snorlax right off the bat. It's realistic. Well, and Those kind of things are real. Like, if, if it's this vast open world, there's nothing that says that you won't come into contact with a level 100 dragon. It's It makes sense. And the, the satisfaction you get as a player from finding a boss and getting just absolutely smacked by it and then coming back later and beating it with any sort of ease... Like, that's where the satisfaction comes from playing games like this. So I, I, I think that's an important element and it. Like, it does make it longer. But I think that, like, yeah, from my understanding is that Dark Souls is a fairly linear experience. So you don't really get a whole lot of opportunity for that. And I think that's probably a black mark on its record. This game, I mean, I'm looking here. I, I know, Nerbomb, you might have some more discussion points. But before we get into those, 10 out of 10 on IGN, 10 out of 10 on GameSpot. Games Radar gave it 5 out of 5 stars. Destructoid, 10 out of 10. Game Informer, 10 out of 10. I mean, across the board, it's just like sterling reviews. The PS5 version has a 97 on Metacritic. It's it's had nine 900,000 viewers on Twitch within the 24 hours of its re- first 24 hours of its release, which makes it the third largest debut after Lost Ark and Cyberpunk 2077, which we all know how that one went. So, regardless of our feelings on it, this is this is an enormous deal. So, I'm sure it's really good. I, I I'm willing to believe all of those people. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to play it because it might not be my cup of tea, but it's it's the hot thing right now. So that's kind of my other kind of two-pronged question. So you said it's not really a cup of tea. I don't think it's mine either. I I appreciate difficulty in games, but what I've found from a lot of the From Software games and just hearing about them watching other people play is they're kind of designed to test you. And there's no difficulty sliders. If you face a really difficult portion, you can easily, well, in this game, probably not so much because it's open world, but like you can bash your head against the same challenge over and over and it won't get any easier. There's no way for you to kind of bypass it. Event Like there's no difficulty sliders or accessibility options for ease. Does that turn you off of a game? And then kind of the second prong of that question is, you know, with these kind of crazy good reviews, this obviously not only does this put this in like game of the year contender categories, but like you only get these kind of review scores when you have a game that kind of really advances the medium and is a pivotal tentpole for either a console generation or just gaming in general. I think the last time we saw a game like this was either God of War or Breath of the Wild. But the difference with this game is that, you know, it's not super accessible. Difficulty level is very high. Barrier to entry, because it's not everyone's cup of tea, very high. Can it be considered a gaming tentpole if it isn't accessible to everybody? I So, okay, the answer to the first question is, yes, it turns me off to have bash your head against the wall moments. And then, like, actually a recent experience for me with that, I believe it, I think it was last Christmas, I got the Super Mario all mario super mario 3d all-stars and mario sunshine i like i had to stop i was i was getting too frustrated because i hit a point where i couldn't get any stars any shine sprites whatever they're called and i was like this isn't worth it for me so for me that's definitely a drawback to your second question i again sight unseen i haven't played any of this i haven't even seen a lot of footage on it it's i'm not sure it's doing a whole lot of new things you know so so i i imagine the reviews are more coming from a place of this is familiar territory, fantasy open world. You know, you're looking at Elder Scrolls kind of stuff here. But I think it's probably doing it at such a high execution level that I'm not sure I would characterize it as a tent pull so much as I would characterize it as something that maybe revitalizes the genre 
or just kind of cements a genre as being really important. And like, we've kind of known this genre was important to begin with, but it's a success story in making a certain genre as good as it can possibly be. But I don't uh, like to me, Breath of the Wild felt a lot more new than this. Yeah, I and I agree with you on the second point that it doesn't really seem that new of breakthrough things. But on your first point about the difficult not having a difficulty setting being a deterrent, there's I mean, I go back to Metroid Dread, right? There's something so satisfying about the grind of you died, you died, you died, you got it. And and that to me is rewarding. And the fact that this game offers that I think is is actually a plus as opposed to a negative. There's a sweet spot. I mean, like I don't want it to be easy. Like t- to me, Metroid Dread did not fall into the sweet spot. Metroid Dread, like, and I think we talked about this. I think if I encounter a boss, I do not want to beat a boss on the first try. But I don't want to have to take twenty tries. The ideal number for me is somewhere in between, probably somewhere between five and ten. I I don't think, and maybe even that's a little bit much. Maybe it's actually like three. I just I don't want it to be too hard. I don't want to be too, want it to be too easy. And that's a very hard mark for games to hit, especially games like this and games with this scope. So I don't hold it against Elden Ring to like not do that. But when games offer that capability, I appreciate it. I, I guess it's kind of kind of where I'm at with it. I find it the entire discussion around, you know, game difficulty is just super interesting to me because I do get like with Dark Souls and Elden Ring, the difficulty is part of From Software's vision. You know, people who are From Software purists, they love it. Like they don't think that there should be difficulty sliders or anything like that. But you also have to wonder from like just a marketing and business perspective, like, yeah, this is there's a pure standard that you see your game at, a pure difficulty standard. But I don't know what the, I guess, downside of having a difficulty level selection is. Like, I I guess I just don't see how getting your game in the hands of more people is a bad thing. But I think they want they want their games to be seen by players as as points of pride to to say that I beat Bloodborne or I beat Dark Souls. It's a legitimate accomplishment because anyone who's played it knows how hard it is and there's no way to change how hard it is. So there's kind of this unified perspective on it. I, I I imagine that's maybe what it is. I suppose that's fair. But like back in the day, and this is going to make me sound old, back in the day, when I had Xbox achievements on the Xbox 360, if you played on hard mode, you got a special achievement. Like, why not just do that? I don't know why I had to do that special voice for that, but it felt like I had to. That was your back in the day voice. <laughs> I think I think what you said about kind of this like like from software being like I, I don't know if you use the word purists but I think it might be purists or purism in the sense that like older games like going back to we're talking like Super Nintendo and stuff they got they were really hard I think they on balance I think they were harder than games today are yeah that's so true I think, and like they I didn't have difficulty settings like you played Pac-Man and it was just Pac-Man right and I I think there's certainly a large sect of gamers today and game development studios who are like we want like make games hard again that's probably how a lot of people feel i don't think i personally feel that way because i like winning i'm a simple man i like winning i like beating things i don't like not beating things there's a level of satisfaction i like i don't deny tactic there's a level of satisfaction that comes from trying very hard to beat something relative to not trying very hard and still beating it but yeah that sweet spot is very hard to it's very hard to hit. It's a very hard mark to hit, and I acknowledge that. But I don't know how I feel about it. Like, like I remember when I heard about like Dark Souls being as hard as it was. I was like, why would anyone put themselves through that? And then it became like super popular. So like, I <laughs> I, I think I may be on the wrong side of this. In fact, I probably am. But that's uh, that's how I feel. I don't know. 
maybe now George R. R. Martin can get back to finishing Game of Thrones, but let's be honest, probably not. I feel like he goes out of his way to find other projects that aren't Game of Thrones or at least finishing the book because like he's still involved in like the Game of Thrones prequels, I think. He's like me with tinkering projects. Very true. I mean, at this point, are are we ready to say that it's not going to happen? I think I'm ready to just declare that he's not going to do it. He probably has at this point, he probably has no intention of doing it. And he's laughing at all of us. That's that's my honest guess. He's laughing at all of us speculating that, oh, I'm going to do this. No, you're not going to do it. There's no way. I I should start spreading the word that he's never going to finish it. People need to just stop asking about it. I honestly wonder, and this is super speculative, but like, I wonder if he got to a point where he maybe wrote himself into a corner and he's just like, I don't know how to finish this, but he's still getting money. And he's just like, okay, well, this works. I think if anything, that's probable. I mean, writing is hard, especially when you're writing something of that magnitude with that many characters. Like, it's probably very easy to kind of get yourself into like a stalemate position where you can't really get out of it in any particular way. So yeah, if you're him, like you said, it's just like, well, I got all my money. I guess I'm done. And like, people don't need to know. Like, I don't know if there's any benefit to him telling the world like, yeah, I can't finish it. You know, that's not, that's not the best look. So George, if you're out there, if you're listening, we know you're a fan of the podcast. Let me, let me know what you're planning. I won't tell anybody. I promise. We'll see if that. that Honestly, if I was him, I would, I would just do a competition. The winner gets to write the book. And then he looks like a good guy and he gets a f- gets the fan service. That's an interesting idea. Honestly, yeah. Who's the guy who pumps out like 18,000 books a year? John Grisham. Is it? I think it's John Grisham or Robert Patterson. One of those guys. I was thinking Robert Patterson, but both of them do. Like, honestly, have yeah. someone ghostwrite at this point. Launch somebody's career. You know, honestly, find someone who's yeah, that would be cool. written like fan stuff and just catapult their career. Have them ghost right with you and then bam you look like a great guy i'm sure like i'm sure there's probably a lot of fans and and not for that matter a decent number of fans who have the wherewithal and the talent to like go to george r, r. martin and say like look let me write it and you can put your name on it my name doesn't have to be on it and then it'll just be done and we'll all be happy you know like well there's probably like fan fiction up the wazoo that have already finished the i'm series. sure there is yeah, not probably, definitely. Which, by the way, anything you love, there's fan fiction of, and please check it out because the community is amazing. Just side note. Yeah, my fiance is really into the whole fan fiction thing, and I know there's just, there's just a huge, huge amount of it out there. So, George, maybe just go bind all that up and just call yours. I don't know. That's that's illegal, but maybe give it a shot. It's better than not doing anything. Illegal eighty six. Some people would argue that. Yeah, it's my name. So. We're going to transition here to talking about Ukraine because, you know, this has happened. I believe this started. It's been going on for a while, kind of, but the active military conflict that's ongoing right now started, I believe, the day after our last episode released. So at this point, we're five, six days into this. No, it feels like that, but it's only three, four days into this. And um, we do we do a piece of news about it or that relates to it about Starlink that we'll, that we'll get to in a second. But before we do that, I feel like I should just like we should take a minute and like I don't know that we have listeners in the Ukraine. I honestly have no idea. But in the in case we do and, and even if we don't, you know, obviously our, our thoughts are with are with everyone who's been affected by this. If you're there, it's probably hard for you to be listening to the podcast. I'm nominally I'm probably talking to nobody. But it's been a crazy few days. I, I, it's just it's it's very hard in the context and in the midst of everything else that we have going on as a world right now to kind of toss this on top of the pile is well, it's a big thing to toss, right? So Elon Musk is stepping in as he often does in times of crisis. I feel like I think it's more of a PR move for him. But either way, 
Uh, we've heard about Starlink. I think we've talked about Starlink on the podcast before. I would imagine we have. This is a satellite network, uh, courtesy of SpaceX, that is designed to, I guess, bring large-scale broadband internet to, to, pl- to places. And uh, he has positioned these satellites over the Ukraine, or I guess maybe not over the Ukraine, but wherever they need to be so that they bring internet service to the Ukraine to replace services destroyed uh, by the ongoing attack. So Starlink service is now active. More terminals, he says, are en route. He tweeted this uh, on Saturday. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is objectively a good thing, right? We're, we're, we're seeing a lot, you know, obviously the primary rebuttal to a lot of this, you know, from outside of the Ukraine is is sanction based, right? It's, you know, it's it's things from various governments removing Russia's ability to use SWIFT, which is like, I guess, the world's leading payment system, which I've somehow never heard of until now. But it's other things too that not even on a government scale, but I know like bars are 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 not serving Russian vodkas. And like, I, I guess uh, the Ukraine, Ukrainian uh, vice prime minister asked, asked Tim Cook to remove apps from Russian apps from the Apple store, which I don't know how many of those there are on the Apple store, but probably a decent amount. We're, we're, we're seeing also this- Russian companies can't profit on facebook ads there's a ton so we're, we're, we're seeing this kind of global collective movement towards i don't know like unifying with a goal of kind of screwing russia over without actively attacking them which i have my doubts about how effective that will be but nonetheless it's it's cool to see the unity and i'm you know i'm sure if as ukrainians i'm sure they look at that and say that's good but i just i have a very hard time wrapping my head around if like people living there right now i could not can you, i mean can you imagine that like, I, I can't even imagine that just like i mean are like are people getting up and going to work i can't imagine like in kiev i can't imagine so but i don't i don't know to an extent you probably have to in certain cases so yeah i don't know i don't know what else to say about this but i you know i think the starlink thing is certainly cool i don't know like how far out was starlink supposed to be anyways like it wasn't it wasn't working anywhere i'm not sure where it's supposed to be working but apparently it was like close enough to working that they just were like, all right, switch it on, send it over, send it over to Ukraine. See, why I wanted to talk about this story is one, yes, all of these companies are, are helping out. But on the bigger picture, we, we've we've kind of, you know, everyone's sort of picking a side with regards to their own politics. And we've, we've lost this sense of unity as, as, a, as humans, as, as, as people. And this is just a small glimmer of, hey, you know, if we if we get our stuff together we can we can help and we can we can do something all of these corporations just kind of cash in a check are now actually helping instead of just raking in billions and and yeah right. it's 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 not stopping the the horrors that are happening but it's it's these little acts that that are having impacts and, and being helpful and, and that's that's the world that that I always thought we we we'd actually live in instead of this one that we've been in but the current world yeah right i you know i yeah it's definitely good to see i think it's going to continue i like this is this is not going to be the last thing we're going to hear about a company saying hey we're going to do this really this we're going to make this large gesture you know i guess in response to i i I can't imagine in this day and age especially considering things like nukes but even not considering those like invading another country like you have to know that's wrong right like i Uh, i I just i it's it's very hard for me to fathom like i hope barring something like like and however you feel about like previous wars in our country's history like when we went to war with iraq there was a very clear thing we could point to as to why 
right? And, and you know, that there were certain things that turned out to be incorrect. Obviously, we know all of that. But, like, it was kind of like 9-11 happened, then a war happened, right? Very clear kind of trajectory. With this, it's more so we're going to be aggressors for being aggressors' sake. And I just... I can't imagine doing that and thinking that you're right and thinking that the rest of the world isn't going to jump down your throat for it. You know, like it's just, it's very strange to me. I have a hard time fathoming that, but it's where we are. At least for, for America, we, we go back to the world war two way of knowing who the bad guy is. You know, we start making Rocky movies where the Russian is the bad guy and we stop (laughs) hating your neighbor for having different political beliefs than you. We're, we're united. Like, like your neighbor. Hate I mean, the Russians. Even just like, I don't know. It's just watching a lot of the videos, it's pretty horrific, everything that's going over there. And just even seeing people who are million, I don't even know how many miles around the earth is. So I don't know if saying millions of miles away is legit, but many, many miles it, it's away. It's, it's, it's definitely not millions. <laughs> but like I, it's, it's thousands. I would theoretically, say. millions of miles away around the world, you know, yeah, watching everybody come together and support the the people of Ukraine and I mean there's there's so many ways to donate and help like UNICEF and a bunch of organizations are putting together care packages and resources for the people of Ukraine and it, it is right. nice like you said tactic to just see the world united to help people and I and I do it. want to say this because it, it's absolutely tone deaf if you if you think if you're thinking about making a meme just don't it's well it's, just it, don't. it's yeah I, I was gonna get to this too like it's it's very like the previous wars that we've been a part of like i think they all for the most part happened or at least started before the social media age really became what it is now right and like this ukrainian conflict we are seeing it unfold via like tiktoks which is just like it, it's whether it's good or bad you know I, I think there's certainly parts of it that are bad especially in terms of like misinformation but there's other parts of it that are good because it, it does give you a stronger sense of what's going on there than we than maybe we would otherwise have or we would have had 15 years ago so but it, it's but it's very it's this like touch point moment it's very surreal to like it's also super dystopian yeah you're seeing like elden it's, ring it's and jarring. then war yeah. videos in the same like breath it's kind of jarring twitter has a way of just kind of blending that all together into like this crazy soup that is yeah definitely like there's like this disassociative quality to it that's definitely bad but it's like you know we're hearing things about like and did they, i think did they debunk the ghost of keith i think they actually they did yeah i think that was actually video game footage i might be wrong but that was Someone a thing that was me. like going that was something that was going around on like day two and I, I just remember thinking like, okay, this is trending on Twitter right now. And it's like, this guy's shooting planes out of the sky and like planes are being shot out of the sky. And it's like a very serious thing. And like, not that it was being treated like a meme, but it like, it did like, it like went viral. And that's just like a very weird thing. It's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of this moment where you look back, you take a step back and think, wow, as a, as a society, this is where we are and like good or bad or a mix of the two. It's just like, we're horribly, it's very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's yeah, it is desensitizing. It's, it's like I said, it's disassociating. It's just, and it's still going on. And yeah, I guess, I guess a good point to leave. This is, you know, uh, it's good that companies are doing things like, like, you know, Elon Musk, what, whatever you feel about him and what his, in his companies, like what they're doing here is good. And hopefully more companies step up to do that. And in the meantime, if you're thinking about making a meme, probably don't do it. I, I agree, tactic with that with that piece of advice. Actually, that's a pre tech tip. P 
piece of tactic advice that isn't actually a dad joke. So that also feels like a, a milestone. So with that in mind, we're going to move back to some lighter fare, talk about Pokemon in the second half of the show. But before we do, we are going to take a quick break and we are going to shout out our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Stephen Keller. He was here with us last week. We had a great conversation, both on the air and off the air. Honestly, the, the off the air, there's a lot of off the air content you guys don't see or hear. We're just kind of kind of shooting the breeze with Steven, having a great time talking to him about various things. He had a great time being here, I, I think, and I hope, and we had a great time having him. It's one of the benefits he receives as a producer of the show. He supports us on Patreon at our highest level, which is the night level. As a result, he gets this shout out. He gets weekly input into the game segment. He gets, of course, access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and he gets the occasional guest spot, which he, he did last week. There's also a squire level of support, which gets access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And there is the page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment this previous month secret segment was about love is blind which i mentioned before and the vlog was a tactic special that i actually don't know the details of so i can't really tease that too hard but i'm sure it was enjoyable so you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast if you want to get access to any of that content hit us up there we appreciate any support and you can join a great community and, and hang out with steven and with us so head over there to check the details out. And in the meantime, thanks again to Steven. We'll take a short break now and come back to talk about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. We don't have to do anything. We can just, we can just cut back in. Okay, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. These were announced last week uh, in which they announced a number of in-game updates for other existing games, but also announced these two flagship games for late 2022. I, you know, I feel like the main point of reference here that we need to talk about is the three starters and why Quaxley is the clear choice. Really? That's that, that, oh, wow, that's my opinion. Is... I'm con- but, uh, look, I don't know anything about Pokemon, okay? This is based this purely like on we're all gonna have pictures. we're going to have a different starter. Looking at pictures of these three starters, I, I will say the red lizard dude, is that, f- f- how do you pronounce it? Fuecoco? Fuecoco. He's, he's all right. To me, the green cat is nothing. I don't know. The, I, I, think, I think the green cat has the best name, if I remember correctly, but Quaxley is also a really, really good name. Yeah, it's the cat is Sprigatito. Sprigatito, which is a good name. But I mean, this like, this like water, this like toupee thing that the duck is wearing. I mean, give me a break. Like, come on. That's, I mean, he's, that, to he's me, Donald Duck. He's Donald Duck. Having absolutely no information about Pokemon at, like, at large, and also especially about this game, uh, that would be my choice. I don't know. For me, that's... that's. But it sounds like... Tactic, are you a Sprigatito person? And is Nerbomber a Fuecoco person? He's I'm trying to bully a, I me I am here. a Fuecoco. No, he's trying to bully me. So I love Fuecoco. I think his little single front tooth is super cute. And I like that he's either an apple or a, he's a pepper. pepper. He's a chili pepper. Jerry is out. But I love him and he's like, no, you can't you can't have him as your starter and I'm well, really sad. Okay. So Oh right, because you guys have you guys are you have to share right. You're sharing yeah, games. And so you she can't gets both the fire the almost every single time. It's my turn to get the fire. It's my turn. I saw you on Twitter putting your foot down. It was some, it was a sight to behold. I didn't want to get involved. I still don't. But, also, uh, very, I wish you guys all the best. So I'm very intimately invested into this this whole genre as a whole because so it appears that they're taking inspiration from Mexican culture, and that's why or Spanish could be either. No, I, I think it's Mexican, and I have a couple of theories, and that's why Fuecoco is a chili pepper. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there's this TikTok person that I follow. I'm going to give him a shout out because he does great work. It's Kundude. 
El Castillo. And he makes all Mexican-style fan-made Pokemon. And they're awesome. And there is a chili pepper one that he made that has the same sort of body shape as Fue Coco. And so, so one, I hope I hope that he worked with them because his, his, his art is absolutely fantastic. And I hope we see some of his work in the game. And two, that said, a lot of where his inspiration comes from is sort of like Aztec culture and things like that. And so... I think that Sprigatito is also going to be this cool Aztec statue cat thing that's going to look awesome. Fuecoco is going to be this this cool f- chili pepper dragon, and Quaxley is going to be Donald Duck. But if you're trying to convince me that I need to be the leaf cat, let me just read you Fuecoco's description. Yeah, I, this laid back well, okay. firecrock Pokemon that does things at its own pace. And I'm sorry if that does not describe me to a T. I am a sloth, and this is my spirit Pokemon. I don't know if I would. I was. I'm going to push back on that. I don't know. Okay, do, doing things at your own pace. I get that. I don't know if I would describe you as laid back yeah you're not laid back i'm more laid back than you i think tactics more laid back than you i'm i'm, I'm, I'm gonna throw some weight into tactics tactics corner on that i'm obviously gonna let you guys and now granted i don't think you're capricious and attention seeking which is what the sprigatito's well, that's what sprigatito's description is quaxley by the way he's earnest and tidy which that's not you me know either. earnest and tidy no uh, that's me i'm er- i'm both earnest and tidy Quaxley may be my spirit animal. That may be where we're going with this. I, I may actually play Pokemon because of this. Really? Probably not, but in fact, definitely not. But so, it's close like I'll ever come. This is this is something that's interesting now. So kind of like in the spirit of Legends of Arceus, this Pokemon game is going to be the first quote unquote mainline generation game that is going to be completely open world. They announced that. And why wouldn't they, right? Because with the success of Legend of Arceus and the feedback that they got on the gameplay, to me, that seems like that's going to be their formula moving forward, unless they do remakes. So now, Illegal, does this, does that change anything for you? Are you still kind of against the turn-based battle? Or like, what does that do for your interest in You can play the entire Pokemon Legends of Arceus, by the way, and never do a turn-based battle, ever, in the whole game. So, well, a couple boss battles, but but really never the answer is is yes i'm still against it <laughs> like i know that i know that's not the answer you're looking for but like i just i, I don't think pokemon is ever going to appeal to me the the formula changes they're making are certainly bringing me closer to being interested but still not nearly close enough is i think i think where i currently land on it and i think it is like the turn-based element is never going to go away. They can't fully take that away. I, I hear what you're saying about, about Ar- Arceus or Arceus or however you pronounce it, but I'm sure that is the turn-based element is still baked in and will remain baked in for the duration of the franchise, which will probably be literally hundreds of years. So, you know, for me, I, I think I'm still out, but boy, Quaxley, he, he puts me on the verge in, in a lot of ways. So shout, shout out to him and his toupee. I, that's a toupee, right? The hair <laughs> it piece. Like it, yeah. It's got it. It's it's got to be. Stay tuned for which one of you gets Sway Coco. I assume you're going to be tweeting about that. You're going to have it's to go to like couples debate. counseling. Yeah, you're going to. It's couples counseling. I, I think that's where we are with this. So people, I'm sure the people will want to know. So I guess keep us. And we're updated not. We're not going to do a Twitter poll for this for you guys to decide our fate because this is this, this is, is too too. This important. is too close. It's yeah, too it's, it's just, too important. So now this is more aimed at tactic, I guess, because you're not really big into Pokemon illegal. But in the past year, in the Pokemon universe, we've gotten Legends of Arceus and, you know, 
You know, the remakes. Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Thank you. Yeah, I always mix them up. I always do the reverse, and I didn't want to sound like a fool. So thank you. We got that game as well. And I mean, we're still getting kind of updates for Sword and Shield. How, like, are you surprised that we're already getting a mainline game this soon? Off the heels of Legends of Arceus? I am. I really am. I thought they were going to milk Diamond and Pearl for everything that it was worth. I wasn't going to buy that one. It just, I was never into Diamond and Pearl as a whole, but I guess I was surprised. And honestly, with that being said, maybe I'm not the minority. Maybe they fully were expecting the same kind of numbers of people that bought Diamond and Pearl to buy it again and, and it really not to be this big boom. And so it's possible that they were anticipating that and threw this out because now I'm back in, baby. Like this, this game I am buying. But I mean, this, so this is scheduled to come out, they said, late. 2022 yeah that's this year yeah so it obviously couldn't be something that they just slapped together you know this is going to be the first open world mainline game so it has to have been in the works for a while so for me i was just surprised that they didn't have a little bit more time between legends of arceus to kind of get a feel for how that was received because they did have some open world sections in sword and shield that hold like wild area but really legends of arceus was such a big departure i'm just shocked that they didn't wait to see how that would get well, received and panned out here's the other thing i don't think they're releasing another 150 pokemon i think it's gen 9 starters and maybe you'll get a couple new ones sprinkled in. And I'm telling you, that definitely whittles down the creation time cost, we'll call it. Yeah, but they're going to still have to make all of these open world environments. They've already done it with Legends of Arceus. It's basically a game engine at this point. I suppose. But yeah, that's coming out at the end of this year. So soon. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Uh, to, I'm sure you're shocked to, to hear that, but I, I have nothing really to add. Um, I have something yeah, to add about the Pokemon Presents in general. There were a bunch of other announcements, a lot of mobile stuff. But the one thing that I am really excited about is the updates to the Legends of Arceus game. And what that includes is new missions, as well as many, many new outbreaking Pokemon. And we're talking all of them are alphas in hordes. And I am excited for that because my team is... Let me say, stacked. So bring it on, Pokemon. Bring it on. Which will roll into my announcement later. Ooh, well, you know what? Let's let's dive into that. I mean, let's transition to what are you up to Wednesday? And why don't you just roll right into whatever announcement you have? Okay. So guys, I hit roll credits on Legends of Arceus. I beat that game. And there's still a lot of Pokemon that I want to catch. And I'm going to play it till it's absolutely dead. But... And that's why this update is exciting to me, because now I can keep going and have a bunch of new missions, which is great. But my team is stacked. Let me tell you, Gudra, don't don't sleep on Gudra. Gudra is a dope dragon, and you better have them on your team. So that's my first announcement. Really happy with that game. If you haven't played it, play it. It's a good game. It keeps you captivated through and through. And like I said, it makes me want to continue continue playing even after roll credits. So play that, absolutely. The other thing is Nerdbomber and I have watched a show called Trying. And the premise is about a couple trying to have a child and they're not able to, so they look into adoption. And it really shines a light on on adoption. And and, and I hope if, if anyone out there is, is looking to start a family, to consider that option. It's a great option. It's, it's giving kids who need a home a home. And it, it puts a positive light on it. So I'm absolutely thrilled with the show. It's, it's funny. It's heartfelt. Season one was a little slow, but season two is, is just absolutely grabs you and, and makes you feel for these characters, makes you want to keep watching. There you go. I love Rafe's Ball. That's like my thing. 
because he it is him right i think it's him mm-hmm. yeah that's him he's the bomb he's really good in the big short and he was, he was in an episode of black mirror that was really good as well i think people are sleeping on him so i'm glad to see him you know getting getting his due so good good for him this is on amazon prime you said i didn't say or what was it was Hulu? no this is apple tv plus and oh, there is crap there's well, going to be a season sh- three i think they wrapped filming on it well shucks i got rid of my apple tv plus i'm sure i'll be getting but getting it back at some point when ted lasso comes back but for right now i'm if you pick it up for like a month this is something like we binge this in a week they're half hour episodes and each season only has eight episodes so you can definitely get it through in a month yeah that sounds fairly lightweight cool tactic anything else to add or am i going to swing it over to your lovely lady nerd you can you can swing it over to my lovely lady nerd bomber let's swing it over to your lovely lady nerd bomber <laughs> <laughs> i'm just thinking now i'm just thinking of like my humps by fergie my lovely lady lumps so, so yeah she's not going to tell you what she did this wednesday she's going to sing the black eyed peas starting now go the hit no. the hit jam was that the black eyed peas or was, i think that was think just fergie that might have been a fergie standalone yeah, that was just solo career situation but uh what have you been up to this week nerd bomber so i finished playing guardians of the galaxy and I played a small little game called The Forgotten City. And this is a game it, it can take between five to eight hours to complete. It took me like six. And the premise of this was actually super interesting. And this is on Game Pass, too, for anyone interested. It's it's a cheaper game, too, if you're going to buy it. But essentially, you are sent back in time, like you have an accident, and you're sent back in time into these ancient ruins. And there's no escape. But You've basically been summoned by the leader of this little community in ancient Roman times who wants you to help solve their problem. And you're from the future. He knows you're from the future. He's summoned you back. And you're kind of in this time loop scenario where you can constantly loop the same day and use that ability to learn more information and kind of play detective and figure out the problem. And what the problem is, which is super interesting, is it's called the golden rule. And the gods, the Roman gods who are overseeing this little community have instituted this rule where if one person in the community sins, the entire community is turned to gold and then basically wet clean slate and new people are somehow found in this this community. And there's no escape from it. So the the leader, the magistrate wants you to kind of figure out who's about to break the golden rule because essentially with you having been summoned there, he knows that Somebody did break the golden rule to kick off this time loop and you have to solve the mystery, save everybody and then basically create a continuum issue so that you get sent back to the future. And there's really not a lot of combat. There's some like small optional pieces like there's four different endings. So depending on what you investigate and find out, it can be played multiple different ways. But you're basically just walking around, talking to people, finding out new information and playing investigator and detective. And like I said, there's a few kind of semi clunky combat things that you can completely skip over if it's not your cup of tea or you're not pursuing a certain path. I had the option to skip them. I played them. They were actually really creepy and I thought impactful and so probably shouldn't be missed, but you don't have to play it that way. And overall, like I was very pleasantly surprised by this game. I don't want to say too much because it's obviously very contingent on not knowing a whole lot going in. I think there's a lot to be said about unraveling the mystery for yourself and discovering new things and discovering how you have to proceed forward. Like you don't even have to time loop at all if you don't want to, but like any sin, whether it's 
lying, stealing, hitting somebody, doing literally anything will constitute the time loop or will institute the time loop. So it it can really vary depending on how you approach the gameplay, who you talk to, what kind of threads you pull at to kind of unravel the mystery of this place. And I definitely, I highly recommend it. It's a really short little experience. It's it's not super complex, but the dialogue is really cool. The mystery is cool. And it was written by a three-person dev team, which I also think is super awesome. Whenever games have sm- super small indie dev teams and put out a really polished game like The Forgotten City, I am super impressed so did you did you mention i was looking stuff up where you were talking did you mention that it started as a mod of i did a, not of skyrim it, it did it yeah. started as a mod of skyrim and the developers of that mod because it was so well received and well liked they decided to you know, fascinating basically turn it into an ancient rome setting story and make it standalone so and also it's produced with support from film victoria and if you don't know film victoria the only, the only reason i know film victoria is because they they've like they've like won oscars mm-hmm. i think the, the storytelling cool. in this game is super impressive and i don't want to recommend it too much because then you'll never give it a shot but if you have like a a break between games or you want something quick like i got two endings because i went back i ended it one way and was unsatisfied and there is like a canon ending that the developers have said like there's one quote-unquote good ending and then the other three are like divergent endings so obviously you know i wanted the good ending you wanted the good one yeah Yeah. so i went back and i think my total playtime was only like six hours but it was really good well and that's and again that's like i I, we were talking before i I think for me like between eight and twelve is a is probably the sweet spot but anything less than eight is also like it's just really pleasant so uh yeah you might have me here look at me go and then did you play it on did you play it on switch or did you play because it's, it's available on everything it looks i like. played it on xbox just because it was on game pass but it is available oh, on right. everything and it does go on sale i think pretty frequently because i've eyed it up before on switch um when tactic was playing on the playstation when he was going through spider-man and Deathloop, i'd eyed it up but then decided to just wait until i could play it on xbox yeah the switch is where it intrigues me 29.99 in uh in stock but it's Digital games are always in stock. I was just reading the Google result. I would say, especially with your penchant for enjoying mysteries and even like historical context, like there's, it's very well done. It's very well researched in terms of like historical lore. It's, it's a fun little game. I like it a lot. And then I did get, I played that while I was waiting for Horizon Forbidden West. I was on the fence. I wasn't going to do it, but I just, I got caught up in the hype. And so Twitter told you to do it. They did. They told me. Yeah. So I bought it. I got it a couple days ago and I'm a few hours in enjoying it so far. In the early stages, it's more of the same. I've heard until you get out into the Forbidden West, the like early stages are reintroducing you to your weapons and stuff. So it's a little bit more of the same from the original game, but I loved the original Horizon. So I'm having a blast so far and I can't wait to dig in more. Right on. Well, on my end, a couple things to update on. Uh, so I mentioned last week that I had finished construction of a Lego Millennium Falcon and that I was hoping to get a hold of some more Star Wars Lego. I did go back to my parents' house and raided the basement and found, I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be upwards of 20 sets, all in some form of like, they're all some level of constructed already, but they're all like, some of them are in pieces. They're in varying states of completion. So I'm actually currently undergoing like 
a restoration project to actually deconstruct like make sure they're all fully constructed by adding pieces to them that need to be added and then recon and then deconstructing them and separately bagging them because before it was kind of just all thrown into one box it was not a good system so i had you have to be very meticulous when you're doing that i found that i'm missing a good number of pieces of course so i'm going to try and find a way to source certain pieces that i don't have but right now i'm in the process of just kind of like putting things together it's really kind of puzzly actually i have all the instruction manuals but you know you have to kind of really dig through a big buckets of pieces to find things that are missing from a ship or something so it's it's going to be a lengthy process but it's one that i'm really enjoying so far i think the end result is going to be awesome when i have a place to display all of these i'm going to have a pretty large gallery of kind of at this point retro star wars lego because most of this was like early 2000s maybe even late 90s in some cases isn't that awesome that we can do that it's the best my most recent construction that i'm 99.9 percent done with i'm looking for like two more pieces is uh, anakin skywalker's pod racer from episode one so having a having an absolute blast with that it's taken up a lot of my time but it's, it's time well spent i'm really enjoying that so i've been doing that the other two things I want to shout out, I started watching Archive 81, two episodes in. This is kind of a psychological thrillery show on uh, Netflix. Uh, definitely has horror elements. Uh, basically, an archivist is hired to restore videotapes that were damaged in a fire in an apartment building, and he starts watching the tapes and kind of learns about some sinister mystery involving some supernatural stuff. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, so that's as far as I'll go. And I also don't know much more than that right now. I'm only two episodes in, but really enjoying that. I think it's eight episodes total, so I might be done with that by the time we record next week, and I'll be able to give a more substantive update on it. Uh, But then the third thing I have started reading, it's called The Origin of Evil, and it's actually an Ellery Queen novel. Have you guys ever heard of Ellery Queen? No. Do tell. So Ellery Queen is actually the author of the book but also the main character it's a pseudonym that that the authors because there's actually two men who authored these books um, they use that pseudonym and the character in the book is actually a mystery writer who helps to solve mysteries so it's kind of this like interesting meta twist on it Uh, these books were all written these were written in like the 40s and 50s i believe so they're very like film noir style like watching the Maltese falcon or something like just old school pi stuff and it was recommended to me by a friend of mine and i'm really enjoying it so far i love a good mystery another kind of touch point think agatha christie it's very similar to like hercule poirot although those were back in the 1800s so the time period is different but it's really really fun having an absolute ball with that um and they're they're, i have two of them right now i borrowed two of them and they're both going to be pretty short reads so again hopefully provide more of an update as i go through them but there's like 30 of them so if i like them i can i could read a bunch I think they're going to be great summer reads and great beach reads. So that's been the the, the scoop for me on the week, uh, which I think moves us into Quiztown. And the mayor of Quiztown this week is Nerd Bomber. Uh, what do you have for us this week? I have Mr. 007 himself, Daniel Craig. First of all, this episode is coming out on Daniel Craig's birthday. So happy birthday to Daniel Craig. HBD. So nice. This is, again, going to be Price is Right style. Whoever is closest to the numerical answer without going over is going to get the point. I have five questions and a tiebreaker if needed. And we'll have a legal go first. As always, you can only do the plus one trick one time per game. Also, the one quantity trick one time per game. So use your chances wisely. Here we go. Daniel Craig has had a long career. And his film debut was in the drama The Power of One. In what year did that movie release? Been in the game for a minute. I'll tell you that much. 
This is this is somewhere in the nineties. I'm gonna say nineteen ninety six. Tactic, what say you? It's a little bit earlier than that. It was actually nineteen eighty six. You guys are both wrong, but Tactic got this point. That movie, The Power of One, released theatrically in nineteen ninety two. Garbage. <laughs> you were I, close. I call foul. I was right there. Okay, fair enough. I accept the the outcome. Let's continue. So sticking in, you know, figuring out years of things, Daniel Craig became the sixth actor to be cast as James Bond. In what year did his first James Bond movie release? And this one, Tactic, you'll start this off. He's doing math on a calculator. What year did, was he the, was, yeah? What year was his first James Bond movie released? That was in 2003. Okay, that's too early. I, I'm almost positive it's either 2006 or 2008, so I'm going to say 2006. You hit that right on the nose. His first James Bond film, Casino Royale, was released internationally in November 2006. So this game... I remember I remember going to see this movie. So that, that for me, that was... I knew like it was the, a few years point. after I, I did, but I didn't want to bust. So like I was only off by three years, so... Yeah, you both were really close. So... After filming, Casino Royale had wrapped, and before the production of Quantum of Solace, which was in 2008, began, he actually had his body insured. For how much money was that insurance policy? Quantum of Solace, by the way, is a very, very not good James Bond movie. Uh, a cool, a cool mill. Oh, it was more than one that. Million, it was more than million that. One million dollars. I'm going to say two million dollars. I think that counts as your plus one. No it, do- no, it doesn't. It's a million away. Okay, I guess. It doesn't have to count as the plus one. That's fine. But you did get that right. He had his body insured for $9.5 million. Peons life insurance are like a million dollars. Come on. Okay, so that so it was a plus one then because he got it right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's but that is garbage. That's garbage. What was the number? I, I actually blacked out when you said it. 9.5 million. So Tactic has two points. Illegal has one point. We have two questions left. This is still anybody's game. I mean, you got to figure a million per arm. A million per leg, so that's four million. And obviously his head, maybe for each ab. A million for his head, a million for for his, you know, down down there. Uh, so what are we up to now? What is that? Six? And then, yeah, I guess maybe maybe like half a million for each ab. You got to include the butt would cheeks, get you to, though. Would get you to nine, and then another half million per cheek. For the booty cheek. For the booty cheeks. That gets you to 9.5. All there right. you go. We cracked it. <laughs> Crack the case. So how many award nominations in total has daniel craig racked up throughout his career so all movies not just his entire career how many award nominations this was 17 i actually i'm gonna go one because i think it's i think it's less than you think i'm gonna go one tactic takes this one home he has been nominated for 54 different awards okay he's not that good I'm so, I'm sorry, but he's not that good. Well, there's a lot of different award shows, though. Yeah, she I didn't suppose. say specifically this one. So okay, so Technic's on a victory lap now, but let's let's finish this out. Yeah, this question is meaningless, but it's still fun, interesting trivia. So let's go. So obviously, he is best known for his leading actor roles, based on credits in the leading role in 13 films. What is the total worldwide aggregate box office? For those 13 films. Well over a bill. I'm going to say, I'm going to say $2.3 billion. So for 13 films, each film is worth one body insurance policy. 
So I'm just going to throw it away and say $123.5 million. <laughs> yeah, who cares at this point? So illegal, you actually did get this and you're very close. He was at $3.7 billion in worldwide aggregate box office income in movies where he was a leading actor. J- James Bond's a big deal, guys. I wanted to plus yeah, one you just to, to bury you, but I felt like just doing some body math because it's more fun. Well, I appreciate it. Well, look, I mean, here we are. I moved to three and three. Nerd Bomber is at two and three. Tectic is at three and three. So Tectic and I currently tied for the lead. And uh, next week, I will try not to lose to Nerd Bomber. <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But uh, it's a different year, guys. The times they are changing, as Bob Dylan has often said, or I guess he said the one time when he wrote that song. So with that in mind, thank you guys for showing up. Thank you for listening. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review there if you like. You can hit us up on Twitter at our handles we mentioned. And uh, you can just you can get out there and have a great week. And uh, I'll let Tactic take you out with a tech tip. Yeah, uh, get out there and have a great week. I just felt like I'm imitating you. You stole me. You, you, yeah, get out there and have a great week. Simple tip this week. Adios. <laughs>